0: This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen.
1: All right. How many of you know you have to live a message before you preach a message? Come on now. Amen. You'll see here in just a moment, but uh, right about four minutes before service time, uh, a work issue poured some gas on my fire. My blood pressure is high and my, my, my temper is boiling, and now i got to preach about the love of Jesus Christ. Come on now. Amen. But you know what? God is good and God is faithful. Amen. And I was sitting there during worship time and I was like, Lord, I just want to worship and I want to, I want to do bodily injury at the same time and they don't go together. Is that all right to be honest? And I'm like, Lord, help us. But you know what? I got to realize what I'm preaching about tonight and it's about dealing with the flesh. Who likes dealing with the flesh? Ooh, man. Father, before I bring this word tonight, I thank you that even though my world uh, may have lost center for a moment, your world hasn't lost center. And God, I thank you for your presence and for your power, and I thank you for your love. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you're just going to open this word to us tonight, that we, we might be able to grow into the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. So I'm going to bring you a message tonight called Lay It Down. How many of you know you got to lay the flesh down? Sometimes. Is that easy? Well, praise God, I'm not alone. John chapter 13, beginning in verse number 37. Peter asked, Lord, and the Lord just, actually the thought of this came from a devotion I was doing this week, but Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will Lay down my life for you. Say that again. He said, I will lay down my life for you. Oh, the thought of dying for Jesus. The many stories that we've heard about people who have given their lives for Christ. I, I've taken some people on mission trips and, and I'm telling you, they were looking for an opportunity to die for Jesus. You pull up in the most Muslim controlled area and they're ready to run in and just start screaming with all that's in them. And I'm like, just can you hold on? We're going to go down to the fair grounds. We're going to preach and we're going to win them to Jesus, but don't start a jihad moment right now. But dying for Jesus, many have done. Many people are willing to die for Jesus. Now, let me just give you a global perspective on that. Two thirds. Of the 2.3 billion Christians in the world today live what we would call a dangerous neighborhood. They are often poor. They often belong to the ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minority of their area, and most of the time, Two thirds of the Christians in the world today, their lives are at risk. As a matter of fact, each day, each and every day, between twenty-seven and two hundred and seventy-three people, and that's a that's a wide gap. And I'm putting giving you that wide of a gap because of uh, of the debate over this. But it, that you can get it down to that range, depending on the day, depending on the season, depending on the the, the holidays of other other religions and those kind of things, where people become more aggressive. Between twenty-seven and two hundred. Seventy-three people every single day are martyred for the cause of Christ. I mean, think about that for a moment. Today, a hundred and let's just say, cut the middle of that, one hundred and fifty people died for Jesus today. Wow. I mean, there are so many people that that send this message. They send this word. They say. Don't pray that the persecution will stop. Pray that we will remain faithful in the middle of the persecution so that we might glorify his name and others might know Jesus. I met with a group of people just recently, and, and let me just tell you how you have to treat people sometimes in your life and how you have to be willing to, to lay it down. I met with a group of people, and they have been so effective that uh, the State Department has been uh, uh, drawn attention to a very small ministry that is now being run out of Blue Ridge, Georgia. This small ministry that's being run out of Blue Ridge, Georgia has won so many people to Christ in the 1040 window, and that means that, that, that area that's not reached that's mainly under Muslim control, particularly in areas like Iran. The very first convert that this ministry had in Iran was the country's leading Amman. They went in as Olympic baseball coaches, and they worked there spreading the gospel, and the very first one willing to accept was the late leading Ammon of that region. Then they told me a story about a man who'd given his life to Christ. They said, Pastor, Christ precedes us. One man gave his life to Christ because as he was sitting down, he saw, noticed paper at his feet, and, his, and the paper was in shreds, and suddenly the paper began to swirl in a little like dust storm began, as the wind began to blow all around him. And the paper swirled, and when the paper landed, it actually formed a cross, and it really caught his attention, and he reached down, and, and there, were, there was something about Jesus on that paper, Jesus preceding him into that area. They went, they began winning converts in this area. And because this man converted to, or because these, these people converted to Christianity, they shared this story with me. One man had become a pastor and, and he went out to spread the gospel instead of the doctrine and the beliefs of that region. He went out to spread the gospel. And as he was in a far city spreading the gospel, uh, suddenly his wife's family and his family got together and they said, it is such an insult, such an insult for us. That you, that he has become a Christian, that we're going to have to end his life and his wife's life, and we'll take their child, and we'll raise their child as a good uh, a good believer in our our religion, so while he's away, they come to attack, not knowing he's away preaching the gospel, and word comes to him, and they have slaughtered his wife and stolen his son. they are so. Fearful because in their religion, it is an eye for an eye. It's a if I even do something good for you, it's supposed to be what you can do good back for me. It's a it you cannot have an unequal balance in their religion. And so this man comes back and 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 his wife has died for the cause of Christ, and, and they've stolen his child, and they are ready for him to begin a revenge killing upon them. But instead, he goes to his family that murdered his wife and loved them love them. And this missionary told me, he said, I stood on the bank and wept as I watched this man whose wife had been murdered as he baptized every single one of the family members into the faith of Jesus Christ, because he did not react in the way that he could, but he reacted in the way that Jesus had called him to react. Amen. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight is this passage where he said, I, you will lay down your life because most of us will never be asked to die for Jesus, not here. Most of us will, will never have to face that question of whether or not we choose life uh, in Christ or life on this earth. But we all, all of us here are asked to lay down our life for Jesus. We are all asked to lay down our life for Jesus. In our text today, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, I will lay down my life for your sake. And he meant it. He meant it with all that's within him. But Peter was living in the fantasy of being a hero at a point of death. You see, there was something about his life that made him not feel like he measured up. He was probably worried that Jesus who saw all things, had somehow missed this flaw in him, and he would be willing to, to show Jesus that Jesus hadn't made a mistake on him, and he'd be willing to die for Jesus. Now, Peter says this. He, he means it. He's like, he, I mean, I can just almost feel that that, that, that moment that he's thinking, Lord, I'll prove to you that you've not made a mistake believing in me. Lord, I'll prove to you that you've not made a mistake choosing me. I'd be will. I would be willing to die for you. But we know what happened when it all came down to the point of being crucified with Jesus. Peter had sworn, Peter had even cursed, that he did not even know him. And I want you to get this truth tonight. Before you will ever die for Christ, you will have to have already laid down or laid down your life for Christ. Before you could ever come to the point that you would really go the distance to die for Christ, you're going to have to be the type of person who's willing to lay down your will and your thoughts and your retribution and your actions and those kind of things. That The Lord gave me this message early yesterday morning, and, and as he gave this to me, I just didn't know uh, what God was speaking into my life. And then, as I told you, I, I just I, I come to this pulpit very disturbed tonight, but, I, but I'm realizing that that God's making me live what I've got to preach to you, and that's just not fun. It's not easy, but you've got to be willing to say, what does it take to react in a way that does not destroy, but builds up and restores and encourages? You see, if we can't make the same statement as Peter and mean it, then we're in a bad place. After Peter said, but Lord, I'd be willing to lay down my life for you. What? How did Jesus respond to John chapter 13, verse number 38? Then Jesus answered, will you really? Will you really lay down your life for me? I mean, think about that question that he's asking for just a moment. Are are you really willing to to give up your will and your, your thoughts and your actions? Are you really willing to do what I want you to do no matter what? I mean, we'll promise him every time the blue lights come on behind us. Come on now. Lord, I I promise you I'll go on the next mission trip with Pastor. But are we really willing to live for him in the mission field of our lives? Jesus said, "Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Jesus said, Before the rooster, before the morning, you're going to realize you're not willing to die for me because you're not willing to really, really live for me. You see, it's much easier to die than to lay down your life day in and day out. You see, we have a high calling from God. Let me say that again. We have not been called to walk On the same level that we found Christ at, we have been called to come to a new place, to begin to live in a new place, to step up to a new level in Christ. And that means sometimes it can't be our will, it can't be our plan, it can't be our reaction. It has to become, how would Jesus have me move and breathe and react at this point? But Pastor Don, you don't understand. I, no, no, you don't understand. We are no longer our own. We are the royal priesthood scripture called. We are those who become the ones standing in the gap between God and this generation. And we must realize that, that our death might signify something wonderful as martyrship before the throne of Christ. But our life is what is going to send a testimony to those that live around us that something has changed in us. Amen. Somebody's family was telling me just the other day how much they've changed. How much God has done in them in the last five or six years. How much there's a there's a difference. And I want to ask you, is there a change in your life? Come on. Is there a change in who you are? And some of you are going, but Pastor Don, you don't understand. I have been this way my whole life, but you don't understand when you learn to live for Jesus, there will become a change in your life. And even when you don't know how to find that change, the change is going to begin to work in you because the more you fall in love with him, the higher you step up toward his calling. I'm preaching truth to you. You see, we are not made for the bright, shining moments of life. Don't you get this? but we must walk in the light of them in our everyday ways. I mean, we really, really want something amazing to show people who we are in Christ, you know? You want to you wanna pray with somebody at work and you want to see them automatically God change their life or you want to see some miracle happen just so everybody knows that what you've been preaching about is the real thing. I deal with pastors and they, they want a revival to break out in their church so that everybody will know that their church is the one everybody ought to go to. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way God doesn't send a blessing so that all of a sudden it shows you as preferred above his other children. And we've not been called to live in these, these glorious moments that just, you know, where, where we glow when we walk down the street. No, we ought to be glowing by the way we interact on the street. Amen. Oh, Pastor Don, that, thats a little, little. I mean, that's a little harsh, don't you think? Well, I, I want to give you this truth. Uh, it is, there was only one bright and shining moment in the life of Jesus during the thirty-three years that he walked on this earth. Only one bright and shining moment in his life. One of those glorious moments that everybody could have went, oh my goodness, To One, I mean, when the heavens repealed, everybody, some said it thundered, Some, but everyone present in this moment saw his glory. And anybody remember where that was? The Mount of Transfiguration. Mark chapter 9, and there's a lot here, and I, I just want to read through this with you. It's real long, it's Mark chapter 9. We're going to go through several verses. It reads like this. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some of you standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, watch this, Jesus' appearance was transformed. Was what? What? transformed. We're asking God to do that in our lives. Lord, just let your glory show through me. But there was a transformation and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, It's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. What would you say? We're always like, why did he say that? What was he symbolizing? He was scared. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only, or they saw only Jesus with them. I want you to stop right there for just a moment. Hold that, hold that verse. Stay with me. Imagine this moment. Finally, they see him as he is. Could you, could you imagine what that must have been like? I mean, this is the guy that that passed you the food at dinner. This is the guy that that slept next to you and maybe snored because he was exhausted. And then suddenly you walk up on top of the mountain and all of a sudden he just says, okay, I'm going to show you who I really am. And I mean, that's pretty intimidating, right? Could you do that with, you know, I mean, it just starts glowing brightness, and all of a sudden, I don't know how they knew it other than it must have been a heavenly revelation. Moses and Elijah come in and you're like, that's that's the guy carved on the temple. Moses and Elijah are standing there. I would say that's a pretty cool, awesome moment, wouldn't you? That's the only time in all of Scripture that we see Jesus take that form during his incarnation. And I want you to watch what happens next. This is what I want you to see. This has been the moment that he shows everybody who he is. Watch this. And as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. All right, stop there for just a moment. So we realize that something has transitioned. He is no longer glowing, apparently, because he's saying, don't tell anybody what you saw. All right? This is not in my sermon notes, but I'm just going to step out on a little rabbit trail here for just a second. I want you to get this. A lot of times because of the radical change that happens in our salvation, we go declare to everyone what God has done for us. And I hate what most people say. Well, we'll see if it sticks. Particularly if they're a Christian and they say that. We'll see if it sticks. It sticks. Jesus has sticking power. I want you to get that. But watch this. Jesus says, all right, now back to life. He says, guys, don't even tell anybody about this until I've been raised from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. And then they asked him, why do the religious teachers, teachers of the religious law, insist that Elijah, and he talks about that, and I'll just skip ahead for just a moment for sake of time. Let's go to verse 13 for for just just a moment, he said, but I tell you, Elijah had already come, and they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures predicted. Now, here's what she says, verse fourteen: When they returned to the other disciples, now they have been in the glory of God; they have been in the presence of God. I'll never forget one time, and I don't mean to offend anybody's home state when I say this or anything, but I'll never forget one time. Some of us, I know Paul's there with me. We had been in the presence of God in a conference. The glory of God had settled down in this conference. You could. Feel God. People were weeping, crying. The pre- I mean, uh, grown men were embracing all over the place, telling each other sorry. And God was just transforming lives. And we we left that conference and 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 we were out in L.A. I mean, not L.A. Louisiana. I'm sorry, not L.A. Uh, L.A. But not L.A. Anyways, and all of a sudden we go and and about three men in their 60s said to me, said, Pastor, we we've never seen New Orleans. We've never seen New Orleans. Would you take us? Down to Canal Street in New Orleans, and I said, "Well, I don't really want to, but if, but they do have good beignets. Come on now, amen." And we went to Canal Street, and when we stepped out of the car, it was like it was like there was we stepped from the shining light of heaven into the pits of hell the demonicness that we felt we walked down the street stepping over people that were still laying there from the night before we we saw the debauchery we saw i said every pastor in america ought to have to come walk down this street once a year but i'll never forget the contrast from the presence of god and then to the world that we have to help rescue imagine this What I experienced was nothing like seeing Jesus in all of his radiant glory. And as soon as they come down from that, they step right into Canal Street. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some of the teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. So in other words, there's a bunch of people and a bunch of religious people arguing and they're talking politics. Does anybody know that sounds like hell itself? Come on now. And when they saw the crowd, they uh, when they saw the crowd, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, "Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk." Wow. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth. And I'm supposing all this is happening and it becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast the evil spirit uh, out of him, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me we go, Pastor, why are you reading this passage right now? We're talking about wanting to it live in the glory of those moments to where somehow we make Jesus look great. Or living in the everyday life to where we do what doesn't seem natural and doesn't seem normal. We do what's right and we forgive and we love and we speak in kindness. Because it's living, laying down your life is really what's going to help people get free. Because what happened when Jesus came off that mountain, it was the second time he had expelled the glory from who he was. He expelled the glory when he came, was incarnate, and was born a baby in a little manger. He stepped out of his glory. When he came down that mountain, he stepped out of his glory because what the people needed was a God who was reachable, who was touchable. Am I making sense to anybody today? They needed somebody who could walk right into the middle of their mess and not be affected by their mess. Am I, are you getting this at all? And what Jesus has sent me to tell you tonight is, look, it's glorious for the moments we have in his presence. It's glorious if we could ever do something great for him. But what is more glorious is when you can walk into your job and not get caught up in the mess, when you can live in your family and not get caught up in the mess, when you can serve Jesus, even when hell itself rises up against you. <laughs> Amen. You have to lay down your life to do that. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, who was no longer glowing, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. I mean, there are people who need somebody to bring God into their situation, and he said, have mercy on us and help us if you can. I love this one. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. How many of us need to stop asking him if he can? Come on. Anything is possible if a person believes. And Let's say that together. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of the child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. The people in our lives that don't know how to stand need somebody that's living it before them that will help them up. It's not about them seeing us as some great religious figures. As a matter of fact, if you want people to not want what you have, try to sound spiritual when you're around them. If you have to talk like church, you're not living like church. You should be able to live in this world and still show the light of Christ. Am I I making sense to anybody tonight? You see, when we come out of the presence of God, here's what I I didn't include in that passage, but they said to Jesus, why could not we do this? And he said, these only come out by much prayer and fasting. In other words, he said, this comes out by people who are committed to a daily process of getting to know who God is. And what that does is it reveals God's love and God's grace. We become reflections of God's grace, then God receives the glory. Most of us want to be reflections of God's glory, but it's God's grace that God can take a person who was battered and bruised and who was never supposed to get up, that God can take somebody that was never supposed to be, fra- am I making sense to anybody, that God can take somebody that's supposed to be thrown away and God picks them up and instead of saying, oh God, let me just bring you glory, instead God says, when people see my grace in your life, then they will bring me glory. Because revelations of grace bring glory to God. You see, when people are hurting, they need grace more than they need glory. And they need to see that we are living the life that Christ has called us to live. For 33 years, Jesus laid down his life to do the will of his father First John chapter 3, verse 16 says it this way. This is how we know what love is. In other words, this is real love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Wow. So in other words, that means we have to give up what we want, give up what we deserve, to stop seeking justice that we demand, because this all goes against our human nature, but it becomes who we, who we have to be to lay down our life for Christ. You see, if I'm a friend of Jesus, I must deliberately and carefully lay down my life for Him. I have to begin to do what He's called me to do. Can I tell you that that's difficult? Can I get an amen? amen. Let me just say this. Thank God it's difficult. will say that again. Thank God laying down our life for Christ is difficult. Let me explain that to you. Salvation is easy for us because it cost God so much. Are you listening? But exhibiting of salvation in our life is difficult, but that is what brings glory to the one who gave it all for us. You see, God saves us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, in effect, now you go and grow and let me live through you. He said, you be faithful to me, even though the nature of everything around you wants to cause you to be unfaithful, you be faithful. Lay down your life. I mean, what are we willing to lay down? It says a lot about us. What, you know, when we, we put those things, well, I can do this for God and I can do this for God, but God don't ever ask me to do that. If I was a younger and better shaped pastor, I'd just go sit down and act like I was done right now. But I'm just telling you my thought because I'm too tired to go do that that's a good point. That's a really good point. That there are things in our lives that we put limitations on and that, that's, not, that's not laying it down. You see, death is a robber. It takes, but life is a giver. When something dies, you have to learn how to move forward. But when we have to give up something and we know we can always go back to get it, and we have to live in such a way that we are determined not to return to that, it becomes difficult. It becomes a process of every day making the decision, I'm laying down my will, I'm laying down my life for the cause of Christ. Because you could go back. But there is no turning back. We're going forward for the cause of Christ. Let me close with this tonight. I don't know if you're as grateful as I am, but Jesus calls us friend. Amen? Here's what he said in John 15, 15. He said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me. To be a friend of God. Most of us feel like we are doing what we talked about last week. We, we've got areas of our lives where we're aligning ourselves as an enemy of God. But this week I want you to hear what Jesus says about you. Jesus says, don't live as an enemy of God. I call you friend. Friend of God. When you know somebody that they're your friend, there's someone that, you can say, yeah, that's my friend. There's a comfort level there. There's a There's a there's something there. I mean, friends, friends treat people, how do I say this, not as well as people who aren't their friends. I've got friends who would who would eat my last donut. Come on now. I've got friends who would cross the line and drink the last of my milk. Come on now. And with me eating a donut. I've got friends who would just help themselves. But Jesus says, I don't call you a stranger. I call you someone who has access to everything that I have. Now, here's why I tell you that in this closing. Then we should value that friendship. We should remain faithful to our friend no matter what we have to lay down along the journey. I don't know about you, but I don't have a real hard time laying things down. My problem is just not picking them back up. That's truth. But God's called us not to necessarily die for Jesus, but to live for him, to lay down our will, lay down our plans, and find what is the plan of Christ. Father, i thank you for this night i thank you for your presence and i thank you for your spirit god you are faithful and you are able lord as you were ministering to me yesterday morning through this this thought that was ministered into my heart and now it's become this message i know you're speaking to us god you're speaking to why don't you just stand with me in this place and just bow your heads in reverence to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place.